My name is Dr. Chris Jenkins, and I am the CEO of the Orient Society and the host of the Snake Talk Podcast, the podcast where you learn about nature's most feared, maligned, and persecuted animals. I invite you to listen to this conversation, and maybe you'll find that what you perceive as fear is actually rooted in a deep fascination. We are live. Welcome to the Snake Talk podcast. I'm here today with a gentleman that I have known for uh, many years now, uh, Merritt Paulson. And uh, I don't know if he's ever actually heard this story, but um, I knew of him uh, before I knew him. And uh, so before uh, we founded and created the, the Orient Society, I was at a, a nonprofit called the Wildlife Conservation Society, uh, best known for their headquarters at the Bronx Zoo. Um, but I was working on conservation projects in, in the Western U.S. And, and at the time, I was talking to some of the leadership at WCS, and we were planning on creating a global snake program to work on conservation projects around the world. And uh, one of the people that uh, was involved with WCS at the time and that um, we were planning on reaching out to was Merritt. Um, that never happened, though, because the Orient Society was was founded. And, and I remembered uh, that information from my time at WCS. And, and I wrote a letter uh, to Merritt. And, and that was our, our first uh, introduction. And since then, uh, we've spent time in various places uh, both abroad um, and here uh, in in the U.S., out looking for a variety of different species of, of reptiles and snakes in particular. So, well, welcome uh, to the podcast, Merritt. It's good to have you here. Um, it's great to be here, Chris. You, did they they tell you at WCS back in the day that what it was like when they unleashed me in the uh, in the reptile house in the, the Bronx Zoo? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think they had typical. They had a, they, they, I was much more hands on than I think the typical <laughs> members. We pretty much had we, we had everything out. Uh, in fact, they had an they had an indigo snake breeding program there. One of the more one of the only vicious indigo snakes that I've ever seen in my life. And I, I it was a it was a female and and uh, I I insisted we we got her out and got, <laughs> got to play with her a little bit, but. That's great. I, I've never heard that story, but it doesn't surprise me in the least. I've seen you do some truly, uh, you know, some some truly interesting things, let's say, around reptiles. And we're going to talk about some of those stories as, as we get into the podcast here. So I always like to start out by having our guests uh, just tell us who they are, not, not in depth. I'm going to kind of work through some of that. But, you know, who are you? What, what's your position? Where are you sitting today? So I'm in the sports world. I uh, I'm run and partially own a major league soccer team in the Pacific Northwest, uh, the Portland Timbers, and a women's uh, professional team, the most successful women's team in the world, uh, the Portland Thorns, that operates in the NWSL. I've been doing that for a uh, little bit over 10 years, actually moved to Portland from New York 
in 2007. I grew up in the Chicago area um, uh, through most of my uh, younger life. Yeah, that's congratulations on uh, congratulations on that. I mean, both the men's and the women's team have had um, you know a lot of success over the years, and and it's it's been great to to follow those teams. Um, for those snake enthusiasts out there listening to this, the the Portland Timbers are actually not. Uh, you know, don't have timber rattlesnakes uh, as their mascot, unfortunately, but, um, but still a great team. And I encourage everybody to, uh, you know, to go out and check out those uh, professional soccer teams. So before we get into reptiles, I'm just curious how you ended up in, in that position. So you said you grew up in Chicago area um, and then uh, you, you went on to college from there. Is, is that right? Where did you end up going to school? Upstate New York. I went to Hamilton College, was an English major undergrad. And then uh, I worked for I worked a year in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, a year in Atlanta, Georgia, and then a year in Chicago before going to business school um, in 1998 uh, to Harvard. Um, was there for a couple years. And then I basically went into media and entertainment uh, business. I worked at uh, at HBO for a while. I worked at the NBA um, and then made the leap into doing our own thing um, together with our broader family again in 2007 when I moved out to Portland. Uh, interesting. So when you when you were in school and then, uh, you know, in those jobs kind of in between, uh, you know, your undergrad, your English degree and your business degree, did you know the whole time that you were interested in in sports and and the business side of sports or is that something that kind of developed for you over time well when i was when i was younger as a, as a young kid i wanted to do something with animals um you know that was kind of my my aspiration um and and uh um but no i mean as i as i grew up and you know everybody goes through the the you know path to figure out what you want to do i mean i've always been been honed in on on, on sports and entertainment. And I think there are few industries where you can impact as many people as you can in this business. Um, and also I'm really competitive. Um, and so, you know, there's that piece to it as well. That's kind of unique. I mean, you can have that aspect to your life in any one of a number of jobs, but very few is it so out there for everybody to see, you know, on a result <laughs> from a given game and, um, uh, you know, from given season, et cetera. So, um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely been something Now, If you told me when I was much younger that I'd have the opportunity to be an owner, I would have said no way. Um, but you know, again, that was a, a fair amount of fortune on a variety of fronts. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful to be doing something that I love. Yeah. How did, uh, so you said, uh, after business school and, and your time at Harvard and other places, you ended up uh, you mentioned working for HBO. I don't know if that was in kind of a uh, sports capacity or, 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 or some, something else. Um, but then also the NBA, how, when did it click for you that, uh, you know, going down this, uh, you know, working within the business of sports was going to be the direction that you wanted to go. Was it around that time when you were working with the NBA or was it earlier? Yeah, it was it was definitely, uh, you know, a little bit prior to that um, as, as well. And I knew I couldn't have told told you exactly where I'd be and what I'd be doing. But, 
you know, I saw the opportunity specifically with the sport of soccer and the growth potential, um, you know, and became more and more of, of a fan of that sport. I'd always been a huge sports fan growing up in Chicago in, in, in a huge way as well. So it's always been an interest, a huge passion of mine from a consumer standpoint. But, um, you know, really saw that the explosion of the world's game in this country and, um, uh, you know, a lot of conversations about, you know, how we could we could get involved um, and do something ourselves. And it's a longer story about why Portland and, you know, Timbers fans and Thorns fans know it all too well. They've heard me <laughs> talk about that. But, you know, it's Soccer City USA. And this was a very – this was a hotbed of the sport that hadn't had Division One, you know, top major league um, soccer uh, for a while since the old the, – the 70s. Um, you know, you're – you know, people can remember the Cosmos and, you know, some of the teams from that league. And uh, the Timbers were a part of that league and were very successful. Great. So you actually, you selected Portland and the idea of, of taking what was in Portland and growing that to, to something bigger. It wasn't uh, just completely opportunistic then. I mean, there was a lot of strategy and thought that went into those decisions. A hundred percent. And then my wife had to get comfortable with it. She had her own career. She was very successful um, and had been valedictorian of her class at Cornell and had gone to Harvard Law School and um you know, so she had to get comfortable. She's now uh, running uh, digital strategy for Nike. So she's she continues to work out here. Um, we've got two kids uh, as well. So, hmm. well, let's let's transition over to uh, to the kind of reptile side of things, and. You know, so people, I mean, for people like yourself and me and others, an interest in in something like snakes or even reptiles, you know, seems very eccentric to a lot of people. But for us, it's it's actually kind of a normal thing, just one of the things we love. So uh, what I always like to hear from my guests is, is how did that develop? Is that something that, you know, when you were a kid growing up, you know, outside of Chicago, uh, that you already were were kind of keyed into, say, reptiles and snakes, or is that something you kind of developed a little bit later in life? It was innate for me. I mean, definitely aided by the fact that I um, was born into a family with a big outdoors kind of conservation mentality. Uh, my mom was the nature lady in our public school system growing up and would come in and talk about aspects of nature and conserva- uh, conservation to elementary schools um, and uh, was is also basically, as you well know, I mean, might as well have a PhD in ornithology. I mean, she's one of the top birders in this country and anywhere in the world. I've never been interested in bird watching or birds, but, um, you know, and, and when we, we would travel, uh, you know, growing up to different areas and wild areas, I would be focused on snakes. But my dad, on the other hand, you know, when, when he found old letters from Boy Scout camps where, you know, he would, he'd written his parents about catching a water snake that everybody was afraid of and, you know, looking for, for, um, milk snakes, um, in, uh, in, uh, sort of Southern Wisconsin, um, where, where he had gone to Boy Scout camp. Interestingly, Harrison Ford, uh, was his, was the, one of his counselors. <laughs> there, <laughs> crazy small world. But, um, I, you know, I, from an early age, my parents said I would, you know, we, we didn't have the bet, most diversity in, in, in Herp life where I lived in, in Barrington, of course, knowing what I know now, uh, you know, there's actually some really good stuff around 
Illinois and especially Southern Illinois where, you know, Snake Road and, you know, a, a lot of your listeners are familiar with. But um, I would catch toads, you know, in, in our windowsill and was always catching frogs, um, uh, eastern painted turtles a lot. You know, we uh, we basically had garter snakes and, and brown snakes around our house occasionally you'd get a milk snake or a fox snake. And the fox snake was a snake that I was most focused on. I think I only got one or two, um, you know, growing up and, you know, we'd keep them for a little bit and then release them. But um, I was just big into, for me, it was all about looking for them and catching them. Um, yeah. You know, and it was, it was a love of, love of them. And especially if anybody was trying to hurt them, um, you know, I would come in and, and, and try to rescue the animal and get them to a point of safety. I remember early memory of kids at recess had found a snake and trying to hit it with a stick and coming in and, and, and grabbing the snake. And, um, you know, the idea of hurting an animal bothered me a, a lot and, 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 and uh, especially snakes, um, which, you know, and, 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 uh, and reptiles. I shouldn't say especially, but, but, but you know, so many more people want to hurt uh, snakes and don't understand snakes. And, um, you know, uh, it, and it was my form of hunting, you know, I, I never liked, I loved fishing growing up. Um, but, but, um, we, you know, we weren't a family that does the hunting like you do it. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, but for me, it was, you know, trying to find and locate and catch, uh, you know, snakes. And, and, and when we got away from Chicago and started taking trips to Southern Georgia and stuff and, and, you know, trying to catch black racers, as a young kid, which were very difficult snakes to catch. And, um, uh, um, you know, there's pictures of, of, of me getting bit on the nose by a black racer that, you know, I, I thought <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd tamed. Um, but, uh, you know, and then getting lucky enough to find a corn snake. And as you well know, I'm ultra interested in king snakes now and, you know, all kinds of cool, cool bridge. But, um, you know, we've got, um, we've got uh, a few, the, some of the mountain king snakes here in Oregon, but I've yet to find one. I've only gone out looking for a couple of times, but I've caught a ton of Eastern king snakes um, in my life. Yeah. And there's a couple topics in there that I want to come back to. One kind of, you mentioned com your competitive nature in general. Um, and, and I want to talk about that relative to, to snakes. And a lot of us have that, but I also want to talk about uh, you know, snakes like king snakes. Um, I think you know, but I'm I'm heading out tomorrow. I fly to Texas, and we're going to look for gray band, uh, gray band and king snakes. So pretty excited about that. But hopefully, we'll we'll touch on that in a future episode. Um, another story. I almost could have guessed the answer to that. Whether you were into snakes as a kid, first of all, I think we've talked about it. But a story, another story that you probably have not heard. Um, I was uh, I was in the Midwest uh, for work visiting some properties in Wisconsin, and your family was gracious enough to to allow me to to stay at the house, and they ended up, you know, putting me up in in you know your your childhood bedroom. <laughs> but but anyway, but the point, the thing that struck me, I remember, was that th your mother still has the pictures that you drew on the wall of, of animals from when you were a child. So uh, again, oh, yeah. I could have, I could have guessed the, the answer to that. So uh, great. Um, the other piece of that that's interesting. And I mentioned this on a previous episode, talking to some folks from the Midwest is I've still never seen a Fox snake in the wild. And that is one that I definitely want to uh, check off my list. So I'm going to have to do that before long. They're very cool. 
Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some different topics relative. Well, you know what? Let me back up. There's one thing I want to ask you based on what, what you've already said. So, and a lot of people, you know, have to make this decision in their lives and I had to make it too. So you're going through, you know, your adult life and you're training for your future career and you're taking all of these different paths. But as you mentioned, as a child, you know, you thought you wanted to do something working with animals. Um, and, and I was, you know, kind of the same way and, and different people make different decisions. I'm just curious um, if, if there was any kind of conscious thought between that, should I pursue my career working with animals, whether it be snakes or, or anything else? Um, or, or did you decide for whatever reason, I really need to go the business route or was it just kind of something that, that came, you know, kind of uh, automatically to you? You know, I don't remember when they making the conscious decision to sort of, you know, go a different route and when that was, I mean, you sort of get pulled that direction, um, uh, you know, by, by gravity, if, you know, and maybe it's because of commercial reasons. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly harder to find lucrative, uh, you know, uh, avenues and, 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 um, but you know, it's a, it's a passion for me and I knew I'd be involved with animals, uh, you know, conservation one way or another, um, in, in my life. And, and so, um, you know, I think that, that there's no real pithy answer there, but, but, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, maybe for a second phase of my career, I'm 48 now, but, um, uh, you know, being involved in a reintroduction of, you know, wolves to Yellowstone or some kind of dream project like that, or trying to figure out, um, you know, like we're doing now, you know, with reintroduction, Reducing uh, eastern indigo snakes to to you know habitats where they they used to live and um, uh, where they naturally occurred um, and getting them well established that kind of stuff to me um, you know gets me just as excited as as anything I'm doing in my day job. Great. Well, I want to so I want to go back to. Uh, you know, you mentioned your time at the Bronx Zoo in the reptile house and, and you know, how there was this one indigo snake that they said, oh, that's the one you don't want to handle. And, and you asked to, to pull it out. And, and I want to bring you back to a time that we were, we were actually on the, uh, we were in South Georgia together, um, but we were out in different groups looking uh, for animals and uh, we ended up, I can't remember if we got a call or how it came through, but somehow we got word that you out in this other group, I believe you might've been with your father, um, ended up getting bitten by an alligator. And so <laughs> I was wondering if you wouldn't mind just taking uh, a few minutes and, and kind of walk us through the story uh, of how you end up out in the field looking for snakes, um, you know, and end up with your hands inside of an alligator's mouth. You know, actually, anybody who's listening to this, uh, you know, from soccer world might, if they're Timbers fans, there was a, there was a little bit of people are kind of aware of this, so they probably don't know the story, but I mean, look where we were, there's, um, uh, and you well know the area in Southern Georgia, you know, I've caught baby alligators for years. I've caught larger alligators, juvenile alligators. There's a lot of different freshwater areas and you see alligators crossing the road. And, um, uh, we were out 
and uh, uh, we saw, I was actually with my father and we saw about a six or seven foot, um, not, not huge alligator, but, but good size um, uh, crossing the road. And I said, I'd been watching this show. I mean, this is actually going to make me sound not like the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, I, I, but I, I've, been, I've been, there was some show called Gator Boys um, where, where that I'd gotten hooked on on like Animal Planet about these guys, you know, who remove alligators and, uh, you know, problem areas and go in and catch them. And they do this thing where they get their hand up under the, 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 the throat in almost like in a hypnotic kind of way before they close the snout. And I've always been, when I've caught gators, even bigger ones, I've, I've, I've committed to going full on in, get my hands behind the head and pin them down kind of. Um, and, and I've never done this other thing. And I said to my dad, I'm going to show you what they do on this show. And so basically a long story short, I got my fingers underneath and um, the, the, every time I tried to use my other hand to close the top jaw, the gator would kind of pull back but I was still getting enough pressure on the under throat that it seemed like it was kind of working. And, and the fourth time I tried that, he pulled back and latched on and I thought he took off um, uh, most of my, uh, my, my ring finger on my left hand. So when he, when he initially didn't, didn't release for a while and when we released, there was just so much blood. I thought my finger was gone and I'm saying, I think my finger's gone. And my dad's looking on the ground right in front of the gator who's <laughs> kissing and everything like that for my fingers so we can get it reattached. And, um, I, we, we, I eventually said, no, no, you can see where the tooth went through the finger, but it, it's still there. So we go rushing back and, uh, and, and, you know, they didn't have, um, uh, you know, I, I, I got some antibiotics, um, I, I, and, and number of other things, but every time I got off antibiotics, the finger would swell up again. And so this would go on for, this went on for, for, upwards of a couple months. I was actually on an MLS owner's trip where I was off antibiotics and this thing was swollen up like a sausage and I started getting concerned. And so finally, uh, you can't be on antibiotics your whole life and clearly antibiotics aren't, aren't curing it. So went in and saw a doctor in Portland and they're not used to uh, alligator wounds here in the <laughs> Pacific Northwest, but they did a lot of research and they basically said, we think there's a piece of bacteria that got embedded either in your bone or your cartilage, given how deep the bite was. So they, uh, they, they did surgery and scraped it. And they said, you might lose the finger if we don't, you know, we can't solve it here. Well, sure, sure enough, that's what happened. So Long story short, that was the uh, that was the alligator bite, but it's, I can blame it on Gator Boys. Um, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm never using. When I was with Andy Whitworth in Costa Rica, and we saw a big caiman, a mother caiman, and and I was gonna, she was in in shallow water. We'd been catching babies. I I was very close to doing the full on dive on on the top of the gator. Just you know, Andy, he's a bit of a cowboy and fun mm-hmm. guy out there. I mean, he's crazy and. I'm like, I pulled back. I'm like, it was the first time I've had any hesitation with anything to do with catching it. Like I, if I get myself bitten by another crocodilian, you know, and this thing was, <laughs> was pretty big. It was actually probably bigger than the, than the juvenile gator we saw. Mm. I'm, like, I'm not going down this path again. I've come very close to getting bitten by Eastern diamondback rattlesnakes multiple times. And I'm really lucky. I, I, you know, and my, that's a constant thing with my kids. They're like, dad, you can't, you know, I no more bear handling, um, uh, rattlesnakes, and but that's obviously you'd rather get bitten by um, a, a, a gator, even in a bad bite, than you would um, in eastern eastern yeah. diamondback. <laughs> 
I just wanted to take a quick break and uh, tell you guys that snakes are one of the most persecuted groups of animals in the world. Unfortunately, most snakes that encounter people end up dead. But the Orient Society is dedicated to changing that. Go to www.orian.org to learn more and join the effort to stop the persecution. Yeah, and I remember that trip. Luckily, uh, for the immediate uh, kind of first aid, uh, good friends of both of ours, mutual friends of ours, Pete Oxford and and his wife Renee uh, were there. And I remember her, uh, you know, her helping to to take care of you when it first happened. And you she know, was, you know, the irony of that, right? Yeah. They were on the trip with me in the Galapagos, where I got attacked by the sea lion and had my yeah. stomach ripped open. So right. she's like, this guy gets. You know, I still have a scar across my abdomen where she stitched stitched me up with my grandmother's sewing needle, um, you know, that had to be sterilized in boiling water. So I seem to get get some unusual animal injuries when they're around. Yeah, she loves to tell that story. That's actually where I was going to the sea lion story because I was in visiting them in Ecuador when they still lived there. And uh, I remember one night sitting around uh, outside their house and she, she told that story too. So so anyways, the moral of it is that uh, Mara is a madman when it comes to animals. <laughs> um, he, he appreciates them and appreciates having uh you know, uh, exciting experiences uh, with them. So, <clears throat> okay, so we talked about the alligator. Let's focus yeah, in. Those are my best snake story either. I don't. I mean, if if, if, yeah, if we'll, we'll get if to that, talking, we'll get to that. Snake stories. It'd be it'd be probably the uh, you know the anaconda one, right? You've seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's hold that for the end, if if uh, you don't mind telling that at the end. That's. I'll we'll finish the the uh, podcast uh, with that, and so. One thing uh, that I want to talk about uh, is is kind of a, a you know there are different subgroups of, of snake enthusiasts. So as you know, I mean I love all snakes, but I am particularly uh, interested in enamored with vipers. It's just it just they you know they do something to me. And uh, you have this very interesting interest, along with um, one of our other board members. I haven't mentioned that yet, but Merritt uh, is is a board member of the Orient Society. Um, But you have this interesting interest that I've always tried to categorize. And I think I've come up with a a way that, that I like to categorize it called the flashy colubrids. And, and I like the flashy colubrids too, but, but, uh, you know, from my perspective, that that's your, that's probably your greatest interest and correct me, uh, if no, I'm far. wrong. By far. Yeah. And, I and mean, when I, I, I keep on the, I keep boa constrictor. So I, yeah. no, I, I like locality boas, which are not colubrids, but in terms of field herping and overall interest, a hundred percent, that would be, yeah. that's my interest. Yeah. And when I say flashy colubrids, I guess the way I would describe them, and, and I'm going to turn it over to you to, to talk about your interest in these animals. And I want to just uh, kind of talk about that general interest and what we think draws people to it. Because another one of our board members also has that interest. He's he's the gentleman I'm going to Texas with on this this king, uh, king snake hunt. So um, I'd be there with you if I wasn't opening up our stadium uh, to, to full capacity this week. 
Yeah, well, that, that's exciting uh, as well. <laughs> so, but um, the way I would categorize flashy colubrids are one, they could be relatively large colubrids, you know, things like indigo snakes, maybe pine snakes, maybe some of the snakes uh, like maseranas or other things you might see down in like Costa Rica, you know, where you talked about looking for caiman or trying yeah, to catch awesome. caiman. Yellowtail caribos, caribos, and then also snakes that could be relatively small, but have just a, a really amazing kind of color pattern. Maybe uh, like the California mountain king snakes you mentioned, or Arizona mountain king snakes, or, or really a lot of the king snakes. I mean, how would you how would you categorize flashy colubrids? Well, I mean, you did a good job. I mean, they're, they're some of the most, I mean, it, it, look, beauty's subjective inherently, right? But, but I think in, in my mind, they're the, some of the prettiest snakes and certainly the, the, by far the, the um, most attractive snakes that are native uh, to, to, to this country. And they're also um, charismatic in that, um, you know, a, a high percentage of the colubrids are very handleable. You know, they're 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 more of an apex predator of snakes and they're more they're calm and a more calmer uh, uh, disposition if you if you know how to handle them and and, and know how not to 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 set them off. Obviously, every snake's an individual. But, um, you know, that's another very attractive aspect um, to uh, to to the cool bridge. I'm 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 choking on my words today. I haven't had enough coffee, but, um, <laughs> um, but anyway, that's, uh, you know, I, I think that, that, um, you know, the, those, all those things are, um, you know, sort of aspects of what make them interesting. And they're also tougher to find. Um, you know, it's more of a success when you, when I don't care where you are, um, you know, it's not easy to catch, find a king snake. It's, 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 it's not easy to, to find an indigo snake or, um, so it, it's, it, it's definitely more of a success when you're able to, to, to come back. Um, you know, look, I, and, and I get, there's a lot of other snakes that, that, that excite me as well. Um, but, um, you know, that, that's definitely where my passion is. Yeah. You know, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these snakes that I'd put in that flashy colubrid category. Colubrid, colubrid. That's what I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm fully enunciating. Um, you know, a lot of them are kind of these, uh, top predators, uh, snake eating snakes, not all of them, but, um, many of them are very kind of, I mean, all snakes are predators, but, you know, predators are predators. I mean, do you think there's anything kind of in that realm that, that is, is part of what draws your interest to them or? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, and that's something I should have mentioned as well. I mean, I, 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 I said, actually, that's one aspect when I talk about them being more of an, um, uh, uh, apex predator, I think that actually contributes to their more laid back disposition, um, you know, when, the, when they're being handled. But, um, I, I think that, uh, I, and I'd say I'm, you know, a, a, any species of animal that's, that's, that's more of a predator is, is for whatever reason, more intrinsically interesting. You know, I was involved with Panthera and, you know, big cats and is another area of interest. And, uh, my company's named after Peregrine Falcons, um, you know, so, uh, Peregrine Sports. So, and, and that's something that, that the colubrid 
uh, family uh, shares as well. And I, and the idea of, uh, you know, a king snake eating a rattlesnake, which is one of the, you know, the, the, the coolest wild um, discoveries that I've, that I've fa- I actually witnessed, um, you know, is, is pretty amazing too. I remember as a kid that really stuck with me. Um, the fact that, that king snakes seem to be impervious to rattlesnake venom, um, you know, and, and, and they're called king snakes for a reason. Yeah. We have a, uh, we have another mutual, uh, friend, uh, a biologist, uh, Dr. Luke Hunter, who used to work, uh, with you at Panthera and then, uh, is now back at wildlife conservation society that, that we talked about earlier. And, and for years you were, you were part of a lot of these emails. We kind of always had this trying to one up each other, meaning trying yeah. to find photos of, uh, big cats eating reptiles or vice versa. But, uh, unfortunately, uh, from my perspective, uh, you know, he, he continually won that battle. <laughs> so <laughs> he got you with that bobcat, uh, <laughs> uh, killing the timber rattlesnake, uh, uh I, yeah, yeah. viral this year from the trail camp. That was a pretty yeah. amazing video. Yeah, that was, that was great. And, uh, I, you know, I have a little bit of that too, meaning, you know, a lot of my interests in snakes, are, are, are drawn by an interest in predators. Like, I mean, I, I love all reptiles and amphibians, but I really love all animals. And, but, you know, like a, a small lizard, for example, um, you know, probably would be of less interest to me just, just generally than say a large cat or a large canid. It's, it is something about predators that, um, that just kind of, you know, fascinates me about snakes. And so it's a unifying thing there. Well, that's what I like about sp- some species oriented conservation as well. When you, when you take an approach that's, that's targeted towards a specific predator, often that, that predator is a landscape species or an umbrella species, meaning they need a much larger habitat to be, to thrive and to be healthy. And you save everything in that habitat by focusing on the, uh, umbrella species. Now that's easier uh, discussed if you're talking about a jaguar, um, you know, or something that, that 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 needs huge track. But indigo snakes, that's very much true for. I mean, you look at you 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 look at what in a, a, a healthy population of indigo snakes need to th- thrive, and and you know you've got gopher tortoises typically in that same uh, ecosystem. And, and a whole bunch of other things. And I think that's pretty one of the, the cool things about the work you're doing um, uh, and Orianne is doing uh, in the longleaf pine ecosystem, uh, you know, in Georgia. Yeah. Well, I would like, I think we'll talk a little bit about some of the conservation projects you're involved in. And, and so maybe we can expand on that in a little bit. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's kind of focus in on Georgia. So you've been, uh, you, you've been, uh, you know, lucky enough to, to spend, uh, you know, uh, quite a bit of time in South Georgia looking for snakes, your family, uh, you know, you guys own land in South Georgia that's, you know, largely for conserving species, including snakes. So I guess first a lot of Eastern diamondbacks on it. Yep. Lots of rattlesnakes. One of the best spots I know for Eastern diamondbacks. So what, uh, Give me a little bit of the history there, if you would, in terms of your your relationship with South Georgia. Like, w- when did you start going down there, and what were some of your your first experiences with with snakes in this region? 
Well, I, I, we started going down there when I was six years old. Uh, we went to Cumberland Island, um, uh, one of the uh, barrier islands um, off the coast of, of, of southern Georgia. And, you know, that was really exciting for me um, because I was I was huge into uh, books about about snakes. I mean, when we go to the library as kids, you know, I'd go right to the nonfiction area and every book I'd read was 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 some book about um uh, about snakes or animals and and that was kind of where my interest lay and so i would did a ton of research about and this is at a young age on my own about the types of snakes we could likely see down there and it's a whole bunch of stuff that that you know we were not going to see an eastern coach whip in the chicago area right um <laughs> and and um really was interested in finding a corn snake um in, in the wild at, at, at that point as well and so uh you know, it was, it was, we didn't have lizards where I grew up either. Right. I mean, you'd have, you'd get an Eastern spotted salamander or, or, or something like that. But, um, in, in Barrington, Illinois in Northwest, um, Chicago, Chicago suburb, there's no lizards. So the idea of seeing an animal, um, you know, or some kind of skink was really interesting to me too, or, you know, even a tree frog, uh, I, you know, we do have gray tree frogs, uh, but we're very rare, where, where I, I, I lived and, and the idea of going out and seeing a green tree frog and everything I'd seen, I'd seen in pet stores, you know, along those lines. So getting down there and seeing the palmettos and I just spent, you know, the entire day on my own, um, you know, out looking for snakes. Um, and I didn't really know how to do it um, in a, in a, in the kind of way some of your, re, some of your listeners, you know, do who are real, you know, amazing field herpers and, you know, with all the, 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 the tin and, 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 and boards and, you know, in the, in the right areas. And it for me, it was just constant walking and being lucky enough to seeing a snake on the crawl, um, which was pre- predominantly black racers, um, early on, but I was, you know, for, for me, anything I saw was, was, was outstanding. And then it was, um, you know, all trying to be able to, to, to catch them and, and, and look at them and, you know, release them. Um, so I, it was, I fell in love with, with that whole ecosystem. Um, you know, the Spanish moss that, the, the, the sand dunes that, you know, the palmettos, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's such a variety of, 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 of ecosystems there on the coast and, um, and, and, you know, appreciated all the wildlife I saw there in addition to what I was looking for. But, but, you know, I've really fallen in love with that area and, and, as you said, we ended up buying land there, getting very involved in conservation efforts along the Altamaha River and, and, and other areas, um, working with you on gopher tortoise initiatives, um, that the areas that my mom um, specifically is focused on, um, you know, and, and so, uh, and, you know, in, in the years, I've gotten a lot more sophisticated in terms of being able to consistently, you know, look, when I'm down there for um, a week this year, I caught, um, found and caught, uh, four king snakes. You know, wow. I didn't to see a king snake, um, every other trip. Um, you know, I think I got, uh, uh, four different yellow rat snakes. Um, we saw multiple rattlesnakes every time I went out, which I know a lot of your listeners are like, holy cow, we do anything just to see an Eastern diamondback rattlesnake. But, um, you know, if you know where to look for them, where, where we are, you, you can find them relatively consistently in the right times of year. 
Um, but, uh, you know, so I can get a lot more targeted and I, you know, I, with my kids now, um, uh, you know, they've, they've got some interest in snakes, not like I did, but, but each one of them caught a snake for the first time this year on their own. So that was kind of cool. Thank you for listening to Snake Talk. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, you can help us by subscribing and leaving us a five-star rating. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions, be sure to leave us a review. Oh, I'm glad to hear hear that last part. That's that's exciting. So, uh, you know, so <clears throat> so you guys own land with your own flashy colubrids on it now. Um, would yeah. you say when you spend time in Georgia, um, you know, that's the kind of the pinnacle is finding a king snake or corn snake? I know you also go to some indigo snake properties as well. Well, for the indigo snake thing for me was like a lifer. I mean, we don't have those where we are. Um, I think you were with me the first time I saw an indigo snake when mm-hmm. we went to that property. And, and, you know, that's like the Holy grail for me. Um, so being able to, um, you know, and, and I can remember every one of the king snakes that we found and, and been involved with tagging for the research and, um, I, you know, releasing all that kind of stuff. I, I think I've caught round four now. Uh, the last one was the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that, that uh, uh, even though the guy totally sprayed me, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, but that was the first really big male, um, you know, seven foot male that that, that that we'd found, and I think it was one that had never been tagged before. Um, yeah. So uh, that 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 that's still the pinnacle. But you always, you know, in terms of what we've got, um, which is amazing. Yeah, I, I um, there's nothing I'd rather find than um, uh, a chain king snake and eastern uh eastern king snake yeah and it's not just the species that that we've found together or you find frequently on the property but for some of those colubrids in particular and really you know the diamondbacks as well i mean on that property and in that general area you have some of the biggest individuals of those species that i've ever seen i mean do you have any just kind of anecdotes that you can tell us about like what size king snakes corn snakes those types of things have you found we got a king snake that was six feet uh legit six feet this year i mean common uh, to find yellow rat snakes that size we have hulk corn snakes i mean the biggest corn snakes i've ever seen so um, again, I'm not trying to put an advertisement. <laughs> Your listeners are like, where, where is this spot? But <laughs> you, get, you get some isolated areas and you get bigger, you know, where you don't have predation and, 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 you know, things, you know, trying to kill them all the time you get, it's amazing how big some of them get and, and, and finding a really big king snake, long king snake, you know, is, is, is my absolute favorite thing but i mean you can you can judge for that better than 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 i can because you've done more um uh herping in a lot of other areas and my you know there are they are bigger specimens there than 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 i i think you commonly find elsewhere but that may well be a product of the fact that we've had the protection um you know in in, in the area for so long yeah yeah. And, and South Georgia is just such a great place from a uh, snake perspective, the diversity. And there are lots of areas where you can find good snake communities and and uh, good populations of things such as as king snakes. So, I mean, my dad, uh, he loves the coach whip. 
and uh, and you've seen. I mean, he's caught coach whips that have to have been seven feet tall. Seven. Mm-hmm. Feet. I mean, you've seen. We've got. You, you've seen all my pictures. Um, mm-hmm. Been out yep. with him. He's caught some of the monster coach whips. Is, yep. is but I've heard people say king snakes don't get bigger than longer than than five feet, and we've measured king snakes um, at, at at over set, uh, six feet and mul- multiple multiple. Yep. Yeah, I can I can attest to that. I've seen the the pictures. You're a pretty tall individual, and I've seen some pictures of you and your father, who's also tall. Um, you know, uh, stretching those animals out. So, well, let's uh, let's. Uh, one thing I'd like to talk about before we get into hearing more about this anaconda story is, um, you know, you've done a lot of work in conservation over the years, and you've kind of touched on it, uh, and. I guess before we we kind of dive into any of that, things that you've done historically or currently, I guess, you know, you you had this interest, you talked about it, uh, about, you know, with animals or in in animals, Um, you know, you you ended up going into the the business side of sports, um, but you've been able to, to work on a lot of conservation projects and what how did you go from just an interest in animals and, you know, I'm assuming they fascinate you and, and they just, you know, interesting to you, but then making that jump to, you know, I want to do something about conserving these animals. Do you, how did that all come together for you? Again, that's, I mean, first of all, there's a huge need for it is, is we all know for never as uh, wildlife and ecosystems and nature face more of a threat, um, you know, on, on, on so many levels. Um, but our family's in a position where we can help. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I think the reward there, I mean, like the, the project, you know, we're, we were involved with this year with Chan Cheech in Belize, um, in the gallon jug area in, in Belize, which is just a phenomenal, you won't find an ecosystem in Central America as healthy and robust from big predators, all the, 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 the top wild cats and one of the biggest jaguar uh, kind of populations there, but the herps there are unbelievable too. I mean, um, uh, great snake life and um, amphibians and reptiles and and that was under threat. Um, and 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 uh, you know, saving that in and of itself would be a legacy that I think you know is is is, is exceptionally. You know, it's just amazing. Um, um, and, and so I, I can't take credit for that as much as, um, um, you know, I, obviously it's a collective work through the family, but that's been something that specifically my um, uh, mother and my sister have put in a, countless hours on um, over the last several years. But, um, you know, I, I think the, the doing the work with you um, in 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 in. Uh, Orianne's efforts um, in, in Georgia is very rewarding to me as well. Um, and, and I don't think anybody thinks about snakes. And you talk about the, what an eccentric thing it is and how most people are scared of snakes. And when my kids tell friends at school that we have a pet snake at home, you know, you always one out of every, you know, it seems like at least 50 percent are, are, you know, just can't fathom the idea that that's just the weirdest and the scariest thing. And um, but but the idea that you could have a whole uh, organization focused on on snake conservation is very cool to me. Um, and and, uh, um, you know, I think that that Orianne's positioned, uh, you know, long term to be uh, an amazing innovator and leader, you know, under the work you're doing um, and that, you know, that's just, that's been amazing. 
Yeah, that that's great. And you've been a great partner and, you know, leader in our organization for the work we're doing with uh, indigo snakes and tortoises and all the other animals that, that you find in the longleaf uh, savannas ecosystem. Um, and, and one thing I've noticed, you, you mentioned the Belize project. I know you guys have uh, interest and have done some work uh, in uh, in Costa Rica with Andy, who you mentioned earlier. He was also a, a a podcast guest here where we talked about Bushmasters. He loves the Osa Peninsula. He's the Bushmaster stuff he's done is just amazing. It is. And he's a great guy and, and he is driving conservation in that region. Um, so you guys have worked a lot in Latin America and, and you've been working a lot um, in the Southeast. Uh, and you guys really take, I mean, species are important such as indigo snakes, but you guys have really taken kind of an ecosystem approach in a lot of cases and working on protecting land and restoring land. And one of the things uh, that I was struck by was the conservation work that you guys are doing in the Midwest with some of these prairies. You know, when I visited your family, I saw some of the restoration projects there. Um, and I haven't visited yet, but I hope to visit uh, some of the work you guys have been doing uh, in the more short grass prairie, yeah, in places like Kansas and Nebraska. So um, how involved have you been in the, the Midwest and the prairie restoration? Is that something you've been very involved in? Or? I, I've been involved only um, is, is 25% of, of the Bobolink Foundation. You know, I mean, that's it's it's definitely something that that it's a big focus of of our group. But um, my passion personally is more, you know, related to a couple of the the the, the ecosystems and projects that are tied into species, you know, that that, that I've got a, a focus on. I mean, the, the Kansas project actually has unbelievable uh, herps. Uh, you know, it's it's an area, um, uh, uh, you know, in the in the prairie there that's got incredible diversity of everything from box turtles to uh, speckled king snakes, um, all kinds of milk snakes. Um, you got some 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 hot snakes in there, too. I think there's a couple species of rattlers. Um, but, uh, you know, that's an area that's that's I, I've got to get out to and and and, uh, and visit. And we've got one in Colorado um, as well. That's 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 pretty apparently amazing from a, um, a snake standpoint. Yeah, great. I've been uh, talking with uh, one of your colleagues there at the foundation. I'm hoping to visit the the Kansas property at some point soon and and do look for some of those rattlesnakes. So, well, let's begin to wind down here. And I would uh, I would love uh, to hear your best snake story. Um, I'd love to hear that anaconda story. But if you have something else you would uh, you'd rather share with our audience, um, you know, I'll, I'll leave all that up to you. I, you know, I've got plenty of snake stories, as, as you well know, but that anaconda one would be the one I'd tell, which was, uh, you know, when we were, uh, this was when I was in college, uh, and we went to the Llanos area of, of Venezuela, um, which is obviously similar, you know, to, to, to the region in the Pantanal, um, ecologically that you and I visited, um, in, uh, uh, Brazil when we were looking for uh, Jaguar. I think I used I caught a little yellow anaconda in that area, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. Uh, that first day. But but um, this is where we had the green anacondas. Um, uh, and I was, you know, spent a ton of time out looking for uh, for the anacondas and uh, had caught, uh, I think, three different males crossing the the um, the different uh 
sort of bridges, extended bridges um, in between the 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 marshes. None of them bigger than than uh, eight feet. One of them just bit the crap out of me. Um, uh, <laughs> one of the one of the uh, non venomous snake bites I remember uh, most. I mean, but so we were out. I hadn't seen a really big one yet. Um, and we were out in the back of a flatbed, open air flatbed um, at dusk, uh, going out to look for ocelot um, and another a bunch of other animals. And the truck driver stopped, and we looked down and uh, to the left, and he said, "Anaconda." And uh, you could just see the head of, of an anaconda submerged, kind of in the marsh. And I just uh, jumped off the back of the the, the truck and dove on behind the head um, and secured it with both hands. I didn't realize how big it was um, at all when I did that. Uh, And it had four coils around me um, uh, (laughs) in a minute uh, and and was basically pulling me into the water. So I'm in knee deep in the marsh and I have what turned out to be a 19 foot, um, no joke, uh, large, large female anaconda, Who's, bait, who's more caught me than, than, than I've caught her. I mean, she had multiple coils around my right leg, but then up around my waist. <laughs> so I'm, I'm ecstatic that I caught the snake, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, I might need a little bit of help here. And everybody's kind of taking pictures from the flatbed. There were tourists there that, that were staying at the spot that weren't part of our group that were just like, who the heck is this crazy dude? Um, and, and I'm like, dad, get, get in here. So he, he and one of the, um, caballeros, you know, who worked on the ranch came out and helped me uncoil this thing. And we stretched it with, with considerable work, by the way. Um, and, and, uh, you know how strong they are and we stretched it across the road. And, and I think that, um, you know, you always, it's snakes are a little like fish. If you're a fisherman, you want to embellish the size a little bit with, with the years, but we put an actual measurement on the snake and, um, you know, it was an 18 and a half foot. Um, I, and I tell people, I always say 19, so I guess I'm guilty of that myself, but it was a big freaking snake. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a snake story. I get. Well, I'm glad to, I'm glad your uh, father uh, was there to, to help uh, <laughs> save you uh, from catching that snake. Uh, but yeah, that's a great story uh, in an amazing place. And, and uh, you know, I appreciate all the work uh, that you've been doing with us here at Orian to help us conserve indigo snakes and their habitats. And, and I really appreciate all the work that you're doing all around the world to conserve animals like anacondas and, and uh, you know, and great cats and everything in between. Um, it's, it's really humbling. So um, I'm, I'm glad to know you. And if people would like to, if they would like to follow your, uh, you know, your major league soccer teams, what are, what are the best way they can kind of, kind of follow your business and, and how your teams are doing and, and how everything's going? Well, if anybody's on social media, I mean, you know, at, at uh, uh, t- uh, Timbers FC, Portland Timbers FC, and F at, at Portland Thorns FC, I think you can double check that. It's easy enough to find the, the Twitter handles or various social media handles from um, the Portland Timbers and the Portland Thorns. Um, you know, we've got a big social media presence, um, but, uh, you know, Major League Soccer website or the National Women's uh, Soccer League uh, site, you know, will we'll route you to either one of our our clubs were on national TV a lot. Um, we're the best atmosphere 
in North America. I know you've got a lot of listeners in Atlanta, um, you know, who are Atlanta United fans, but uh, uh, it's it's a whole different level of authenticity here in Portland than it is in Atlanta. Um, even in as much of a smashing success as Atlanta United has been, and they've been they actually beat us in the 2018 MLS Cup. Um, but uh, that'd be the best way. Great. And hey, real quick, what do you guys do when you score a goal? Uh, are you, you are, we've got a guy named Tibber Joey, who's a lumberjack who fires up an actual chainsaw and, and cuts a slab of, of a log here that gets passed up into the stands and presented to the player who scored the goal after the game. Great. That's a great tradition. Well, thank you, Merritt. I appreciate you being on today. I loved it. It's fun to talk about something other than, than, than soccer and the sports industry on a podcast. I think it's the first one I've done not related to my day job. Great. And I want to just thank the audience and tell you to remember, snakes are animals too. And it's a privilege to see one in the wild. Snakes are animals too.